Famed figure skater Dick Button said his father was told that if he wanted his son to get better at skating, send him to Lake Placid, New York. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome figure and speed skater, sports journalist, Lake Placid skate shop proprietor, and author Christy Sousa. Thanks for joining us, Christy. Good to be with you. Christy Sousa is author of the book Lake Placid, Figure Skating, A History. The book is published by History Press. How did Lake Placid become a center for figure and speed skating and a venue for the Winter Olympics? Well, it started around 1904, and the Lake Placid Club at that time was a summer resort, and the Lake Placid Club was very popular in Lake Placid um, with educators and intellectuals, and at the time they decided to stay open that winter of 1904 to 1905, and only about 10 people were there, one of whom was Henry Van Hovenberg, and it was so popular and so well-received that they decided they would keep the winter season as well going forward, and they told their friends and more people started coming to Lake Placid. So Lake Placid went from being a primarily summer destination to being a winter sports destination as well, and there weren't that many places that had that designation back then. Now, uh, I certainly have heard the name because something's named for him up there, but who was Henry Van Hovenberg? He was an outdoor adventurer. He was very involved with hiking and basically all the outdoor activities and he obviously was acquaintances with Melville Dewey, who is the founder of the Lake Placid Club. So he was one of the people that was sort of recruited to try out the winter season, from what my research suggests. And obviously they had a good time, so it became more of a, a winter pastime to come to Lake Placid and enjoy all the winter activities. And you also mentioned now Melville Dewey, he and his son were uh, instrumental in uh, both the development of winter sports and in the Olympics, although uh, Melville Dewey was uh, long gone by then. Melville Dewey was the man who created the Dewey Decimal System, right? But, yes. Yeah, and why did he, I mean, he went up to Lake Placid because it was a nice place to go. I mean, he just liked, I can't imagine he was originally from Lake Placid, or was he? No, he came here because he found that the mountain air, like so many people found at that time, helped his allergies. And um, he ended up coming to Lake Placid and seeing that it would be a nice place to visit and sort of relax after the city. Um, he was in New York City at the time. So he decided to open the Lake Placid Club, which was primarily for intellectuals, educators, teachers, librarians, people who typically didn't have the resources to get away on a vacation, and that was how it started. So he was very strict about the rules of etiquette at the club. There wasn't loud music. There, It wasn't a party place. It was more a place to, re- to rest and relax, and that was his vision for it. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, uh, Lake Placid didn't become Lake Placid until 1900? Mm-hmm. Originally, it was North Elba, and it was more 
it was quite rural before the turn of the century. And actually, although there was a main street, um, I believe in 1870, it didn't really become a hub of business until like the 1890s. And around the turn of the century, it started to become a little bit more populated with vacationers. Mm -hmm. But at first, these were summer vacationers, right? Right. And that's why in 1904, 1905, that switch from the summer-only vacationing to winter vacationing became so instrumental in bringing Lake Placid the designation of a winter sports destination. Mm -hmm. And perhaps if they hadn't done that, I'm sure eventually it would have happened, but maybe not quite as quickly, and perhaps the Olympics might not have even happened. At least that's what my research has suggested. Who were the Snowbirds? That was a group with the Lake Placid Club. They were affiliated, and they were sort of, it's difficult to describe. They were almost like a nonprofit club, but from what I've read, they were informal but formal enough to host their own events, and they had skating events on the tennis courts, which were frozen in the winter. They had events on the Mirror Lake, and they also hosted skiing events. Um, they basically were the winter sports enthusiast group at that time that got the ball rolling on having events. And um, they also were instrumental in founding the U.S. Figure Skating Association in 1921. They became very um, involved in governance and invited U.S. Figure Skating, which it's now U.S. Figure Skating, the USFSA and the Canadian Skating Association together and from there, that's how U.S. figure skating was formed in 1921 by hosting their annual meeting here. So there's a lot of uh, origin stories that come sure. from Placid. Yeah. And in fact, let's switch over to the Olympics themselves. I mean, apparently, I don't think the Greeks had Winter Olympics. Uh, so the Winter Olympics really didn't get going until the uh, 20th century. Isn't that so, or around then? Right. So there were only four Olympics in the Olympic uh, in the United States, four Winter Olympics, and um, the first two were in Europe. 1924 was Chamonix, and 1928 was Saint Moritz, and then 1932 would be the first Olympics, first modern Winter Olympics in Lake Placid. So that was why um, when they were looking into doing the Olympics in Lake Placid. Melville Dewey, uh, his son Godfrey, went to uh, Europe on sort of an exploratory trip to see what Chamonix and St. Moritz had done to have a successful Olympics. Mm. What did he copy from there? Well, he mostly looked at the logistics. He looked at what they had done as far as planning and finances, what venues they had, what sports they had, what nations participated and he sort of came up with a, a working knowledge and a document of what Lake Plaza would need to do. And he came back, and from what I understand from my research, at first it was a hard sell because it was a very small town, and the people of Lake Plaza weren't quite sure they could host such an event. Um, but he sort of convinced them, and by 1928 they had started preparations for hosting, and going through the bid process and all of that. Hmm. And he gave a big speech or, uh, to the Kiwanis Club, uh, mm -hmm. 
convince people, right? Right, he did. And that was apparently the turning point where a lot of the residents of Lake Placid said, maybe we can do this. And so by 1929, they had been approved by the Olympic Committee, and they could start moving forward with their plans. Well, maybe another word on the on the Deweys. We started out with Melville Dewey, the father, mm-hmm. man who created the Dewey Decimal System and started spending time in Lake Placid. And his son, who's really spearheading this drive for the Olympics, is Godfrey Dewey. What, what did he do? What was his line of work? Um, he apparently helped uh, Melville at the Lake Placid Club, but he also was the president of the Lake Placid Organizing Committee, and he was largely responsible for the successful completion of the games. But he also was the U.S. ski team manager. And in 1928, that was why he was able to go over um, and sort of have two trips, one where he was the head of the ski team, the manager of the U.S. ski team, and the other to see what the Olympics were like in Europe and what Lake Placid could do to sort of use that information. Mm-hmm. But I see he was a doctor, but was he, I mean, was the Ph.D., he was, um, his outdoor sports were sort of his business, too? I, yes, and, you know, he was also the honorary chairman of uh, several committees, and I, from what I've read, he was in a similar line of, of work as Melville was, which was uh, libraries and education, so he was very passionate about seeing Lake Placid meet all the qualifications that it needed to for Lake for a Lake Placid Olympics and sort of bring it onto the world stage. We're talking with uh, Christy Sousa, author of the book Lake Placid Figure Skating uh, History. Well, we'll be back with her in just a moment. Do you want to put in a word for the Historians podcast and our GoFundMe drive? Uh, we uh, raise money through donations to keep the podcast going. You can uh, find out how to donate uh, going to our website, which is bobcudmore.com, and you'll find over on the right on the, the, the banner uh, a link that takes you right to the GoFundMe page, and they'll help you with uh, uh, giving money if you if you uh, can possibly do that. Or if you'd rather send a check in the mail, make the check out to me, Bob Cudmore, and send to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. We're speaking with Christy Sousa, author of the book Lake Placid, uh, Figure Skating, A History. The book is uh, published by the History Press. And uh, we've got the uh, Olympics, the Winter Olympics, coming to Lake Placid in 1932. Uh, You were uh, telling me before the interview that you were surprised to see some of the other uh, competitors uh, who wanted to um, uh, have the Winter Olympics, including uh, a, a community in New York State. Yes, well, Bear Mountain, New York, which most people know is sort of a mountain retreat in downstate New York compared to upstate. I always say downstate, but downstate they often say upstate. (laughs) But I grew up skating downstate in Orange County and in various rinks there. And one of the rinks I skated at was Bear Mountain. And I was surprised that it was also a candidate for the 1932 Olympics. They, I'm not quite sure what process they were at, 
but they were one of the several other places bidding on the Olympics. And now we can't imagine with the Olympics being the way they are, something like a, a venue like Bear Mountain hosting, but back in the 30s, it was a lot smaller and it was a lot more achievable. Yeah. Now, how did the 1932 Olympics go in Lake Placid? Was it a success by most accounts? Yes, and it was a very, you know, from what I've read, the success was also focused around the Olympic arena because this was the first time they had hosted skating events inside. And in most Olympics, if you watch any newsreel footage or read any accounts, they hosted events out on lakes. And that was fine if the weather cooperated, but they were concerned when planning for the Olympics in 1932 that, as it's happened in previous Olympics, that they would have poor weather conditions where it would be too warm and potentially delay or cancel events. So, again, it was, from what I've read, Godfrey Dewey who said, perhaps we should have an indoor arena. And that was where the Olympic arena came from. They decided to have an Olympic arena and they hosted speed skate, some um, curling inside. They hosted some hockey and figure skating, and that was the first time they had ever done that. They didn't do the uh, speed skating inside. No, the speed skating was on the Olympic oval, and because short track, which we know is the indoor version of speed skating, is not that was not even invented yet. Um, so they did long track outside on the Olympic oval and. They were. They needed that length. They needed the 400-meter track. And you're a, a figure skater, and, and I'm not, or I'm, I'm not into sports in general, but I just I'm interested in them. Um, I, I, I never knew until I read it in your book why figure skating is called figure skating. Why, why is that? It's quite interesting. Actually, I just wrote an article about this, about Dorothy Hamill, actually, who is a member of a group called World Figure Sport, and they started in 2015 in Lake Placid to preserve and bring back, quote-unquote, Lake um, the legacy of figures in, in Lake Placid and throughout the world. And figures are the tracing of various patterns using your edges on the ice, and it was very popular. Actually, that was the origination of skating, before there was jumping and spinning, it was tracing patterns on the ice. And in Lake Placid, even even in 1946, they had seven patch sessions, which they called them patch because you had your own patch of ice to practice so you could see your tracings. Mm-hmm. And they had seven sessions per day starting at 6.30 in the morning, and they only had two or three freestyle sessions, which was the jumping and spinning. So you could kind of see where the emphasis was at that time. Um, But that's where figure skating came from. And this group, World Figure Sport, is trying to preserve and keep figures in the public uh, knowledge and in figure skating now. Mm. And and so, but then speed skating was still outdoors at that time for the Olympics. Right, yes. They had outdoor Olympic uh, speed skating. And one thing that has sort of come back at this time is they've even hosted some world events outside, which there was a switch at one point to indoor. 
speed mm-hmm. skating because, again, you could modulate the conditions and make sure the ice quality was the same across the board. But they've started having events outside again, and not the Olympics, of course, but other world events. So there might eventually be a, a move towards more outdoor mm-hmm. speed skating events in the future. So the Olympics held in Lake Placid in 1932, and I presume there were Olympics in 1936, and I'm quite sure there were no Olympics, right, in 1940 and 44. I write about the history of the Mohawk Valley area, and they had a great uh, speed skating team at this little uh, village called Fort Johnson, uh, and they were great speed skaters, but they couldn't compete in the Olympics because the Olympics were called off by the war. Wasn't that true? Mm-hmm. Yes, um, there was a gap there, and the next one was 1948 in San Moritz, so that was certainly a consideration. Now, uh, the Olympics returned to Lake Placid uh, for an event that many of us uh, remember uh, for 1980. Uh, Right after the war, I mean, you said that the Winter Olympics were in San Moritz. Uh, I mean, was there always interest in Lake Placid uh, about having the Olympics again? From what I read, yes. And they started again with the bid process, and the Olympic Committee apparently said to Lake Placid at one point, if you're interested, we'd love to see a bid. And they did put together a bid, and there was, competition, of course, because by then, like, the Olympics had become such a big event that towns started bidding even more, and mostly cities actually started bidding even more, but they missed out on one, um, and they were sort of asked by the Olympic Committee, we'd like you to come back and bid again, and after that, they obviously secured the 1980 Olympics, and they started proceeding again in planning. Hmm. Now, in the 1980 Olympics, I guess maybe the big elephant in the room, the big event, as far as America was concerned, was America's defeat of uh, the USSR hockey team and then going on to win the gold uh, medal. That was that was quite an event. And I don't. Uh, well, let me bring this up now. I would, I guess, as maybe your publishers were surprised to learn, you're too young to. Remember that. I mean, you were you weren't born in 1980. Unfortunately, I w- I missed it by 10 years, but I've done a lot of research obviously and I've watched a lot of newsreel footage and information and one thing that really strikes me and the hockey team, it was such an amazing moment, but there were so many other moments that were sort of overshadowed and it, rightly so, it was an amazing story and it was an amazing defeat. But one thing that people don't often think about in the 1980 Olympics was Eric Hyden, and he won gold in five Olympic events, which that's never going to happen again. He was an all-around excellent athlete, and now often speed skaters will specialize, so they'll be either sprinters or long-distance skaters. And Eric Hyden did everything. He skated the 500-meter, 1,000-meter, 1,500-meter, 5,000-meter, and 10,000-meter and won them all. And he set four Olympic records and one world record in the process. Wow. He was something. And, you know, he is so laid back. I was fortunate to interview him a couple of years ago. 
Um, and he really doesn't think about it too much, and he's not, like, stuck up about it at all. But, you know, he's not often thought about when you think about the 1980 Olympics, and neither is the figure skating team and their accomplishments, for that matter. Uh, so there are a lot of different layers to the 1980 Games that I think a lot of people would be sort of surprised to know, or even if they know, they don't quite process how amazing certain things were. Okay, and what was, and speaking of figure skating, what was Dick Button, I mentioned him at the start of the interview, what was his uh, relationship uh, with Lake Placid? Well, like you said in your quote, he said that his father was told that to become a good skater, which at the time he was still early in his skating career and he was told he wasn't that great a skater yet, but if he wanted to become a great skater, he should go to Lake Placid. So he started going to Lake Placid and training there. Often, many people don't realize that he was working with Gus Lucy. Gus of Lucy was one of the giants in figure skating um, history as a coach, and he started working with Dick Button, and basically Dick Button's success could most likely be attributed to him, and he developed a lot of things with him, including the flying camel spin. Um, But he basically, coming to Lake Placid was sort of the impetus for his career taking off and he was very close to Gus of Lucy and very involved and still loves Lake Placid, of course. Uh, so, it, you know, Lake Placid, like I always, I think I said in my book, it's like the six degrees of separation rule. There's, if you've, I've talked to a lot of figure skaters and a lot of people involved in figure skating, and all of them have a connection to Lake Placid somehow, whether it's through a coach, a parent, themselves. So Lake Placid sort of connects everybody back to one central location. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Olympics have not come back to Lake Placid since 1980. Do you think they ever will? Well, it's difficult. And uh, Scott Hamilton was asked the same question when he was here for the 1980 uh, tribute show this this February. We had an amazing celebration here. Uh, remembering the 1980 Olympics, but it's really difficult now just from a logistical standpoint that you need to be a really big venue to host the Olympics, and there's a lot that goes into it, even more than there was in the 1980s. And obviously I'm not an authority on that, but it would be in my mind and in the mind of many others very difficult to pull off. There were discussions of hosting with another town or another city, uh, Montreal or New York City, and that's been going around for a long time. But the bottom line is to host on their own, I think, would be very difficult. But we are having events like uh, the University Games in 2023. So that's a, a high event, and that's going to bring a lot of people here. So, again, who knows, but it would be a challenge. Yeah, well, but as you say, there have been these other events. I mean, Lake Placid 
at least regionally, is seen as a, a mecca for the winter sports. I know my sweetie Audrey, her one of her grandsons, plays uh, schoolboy hockey, and when the high, and remember we all went up to Lake Placid for that. You know, he played some some games up there, and uh, Lake Placid's quite a quite a classy place. I mean, and and really has all this stuff that has to, has to do with winter sports. Well, that's something that Lake Placid has that I don't think many other places have. It's this sense of community, but also a sense of timelessness. Like, I asked every person who was here in the 1980 Olympics, I tried to ask them, do you feel it has changed? And most of them said, no, it still feels the same. Yes, we've had some changes in businesses, we've had changes in buildings, but Lake Placid just has this timelessness. And I think that's why people want to keep coming here because it brings them back to those times of the 1980 games and remembering where they were, what they were doing, or maybe they were even here. And Lake Placid has not really deviated too far from that. And I think that's why we're still so successful and so popular. Mm. And maybe it's time for this question. I, I think the winter sports season had ended, but now we're in the grips of, of the pandemic. What effect has that had on Lake Placid, and what do you think the effect will be next winter? It's difficult to say. Obviously, none of us really know what the situation is going to be moving forward. We're all sort of relying on our state government for leadership as far as when we reopen and how. But we stopped our season here mid-March, and since then it's been quite quiet. It usually is this time of year, but we had some major cancellations. We had an ECAC hockey tournament that was canceled. We had the World Synchronized Championships, which was the first time we had hosted that in recent memory, um, planned for April, and obviously everything was canceled. So the economic impact has been great both for local businesses and I'm sure for the Olympic Regional Development Authority. But I'm hoping that next winter, provided everything goes according to recovery, um, that we will have another great season because there's very few places like Lake Placid, and that's why we've held on so long. But, of course, it's all going to depend on what our state government says. Mm. But in a normal time, in the summer, let's say, would some kind of uh, skating, for example, continue indoors in Lake Placid? Oh, absolutely. And that's actually been a, a tradition since actually 1932. After the Olympics, they decided to host a test session, quote-unquote, of two weeks of summer skating to see if people would show up. And obviously they did, and they extended it the next year and the next year until eventually it was all summer from 6.30 in the morning until 11.30 at night, probably through the 50s. And then things changed, obviously, as it got into the 60s, 70s, and beyond. But, yes, there would be summer skating. And, again, we haven't heard anything definite on the status of summer skating in Lake Placid. I'm fairly certain June is going to be impacted that's usually when we would start our summer skating season. Um, but from then on, we are not quite sure yet where we're going to stand. And you mentioned how you came from somewhere else, but did you go to Lake Placid or you lived there because of the skating? 
I did. I moved here in 2003 to pursue figure skating, and actually I was pursuing a specific coach, and when I arrived I was uh, erroneously informed she had moved. She had not moved, but she was um, involved in a program in Canada, so people thought she had. But long story short, I did take from that coach, and I became involved in speed skating through that coach whose husband was an Olympic speed skater. So that's how I got involved in all of these different pursuits. And I'm so grateful I ended up here because I fully realized if I had stayed where I was, I wouldn't have become exposed to obviously the skating history here, but also speed skating, which I also enjoy. Christy Salsa is author of the book, Lake Placid Figure Skating, A History. Very interesting book. It's uh, published uh, by uh, History Press. Uh, And you've been listening to the Historian's Podcast. And I'm Bob Cutmore. 